Welcome once again to The Agent's Angle, where we are focused totally on all aspects of the football agent's world, both the good and the bad, the right and the wrong. I'm Jonathan Booker. And I'm Peter Paleologus. On this episode of The Agent's Angle, we look at a case of an agent springing to the defence of a player when attacked by their own club, and also that of a football superstar's brother being able to act as an agent. And just when you thought it was safe to listen in, we again touch on FFAR, but this time with someone who has been involved with the process since 2018 and can give us the inside track on what has happened as well as the role of agents moving forward. All that to come on this episode of The Agent's Angle. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of The Agent's Angle and you will be pleased to hear that I'm feeling quite chilled this week after some quite frustrating times recently as may have been quite apparent to everyone. But we are only just at the start of the show and there is time yet to get perplexed if not annoyed by someone or something. So the soapbox is within reach Peter and prime for action. I think uh, this is an episode I'm really looking forward to, like all our episodes. We're a fantastic guest, and also we're covering some very interesting articles, which we promised our listeners that we would cover really important articles on different topics for the agents. But firstly, a thank you to FIFA, or their IT contractors, for seemingly fixing the problem with the agents' platform and the omission of English and Scottish agents on there for almost a week, as we spoke about in last week's episode. And although at the agent's angle we can't claim credit for that change, it is yet again one of those fortunate coincidences that this was resolved just a few hours after last week's episode went live and we highlighted the issue publicly. And then despite a new bug then resulting in the authorization to represent minors not showing for some agents, that was seemingly resolved in 24 to 48 hours at that being highlighted by many. But still, I can't find many, if any, German agents in the agent's directory. And just because there is an injunction in Germany on FFAR, it shouldn't mean German agents aren't in the database and listed on the agent's register. I think it is going to be fun times ahead with the FIFA agent platform. And with all the bugs, it could be an entomologist's dream. Yes, uh, Jonathan, the feedback I'm getting is a lot of agents I've spoken to from England and also some Scottish agents, they're finally on the platform. With Germany, as you mentioned, the injunction's in place. I'm surprised some of those German agents are not on there. There must be a reason. But I want to focus now on a very interesting article recently published in the Business Day Nigeria on the 30th of September by Charles Ogwo. And it's one of the hot players in Europe, I would say, from Napoli, Osimhen, if I pronounce that correctly. It basically entitled Osimhen, Napoli Relationship Gone Sour. This article is about Victor Osimhen seems to be saying that his club, Napoli, has done the wrong thing by him. That's come out of an official TikTok account of Napoli, where a mocking type video ridiculing him by missing a penalty kick came out. And Osimhen and his agent weren't very happy about it. I and mean, we know the Nigerian striker, he was one of the reasons Napoli, in terms of their first title for over 30 years, fantastic campaign. 31 goals across all competitions for them last season. However, this video did not go well. I don't know what happened and why this video was published or what the intent was, but I can say in the article, there's a FIFA agent listed, Roberto Calenda, who I believe represents Osimhen, and mentioned that he was not happy with this TikTok video. Basically, he stated, and I will quote, What happened today on Napoli's official profile on the TikTok platform is not acceptable. A video mocking Victor was first made public and then, but now belatedly, deleted. The agent also mentioned it's a serious fact that can cause serious damage to the player and that he or the player reserves the right to take legal action. So very, very strong words, I would say, Jonathan. Having a look at this article, normally a lot of media departments have checks and balances, so I'm surprised that someone didn't pick it up, that it may have been offensive. As we know, top players in Europe, their brand is very important, and they make money from endorsements, from marketing, from sponsorship. Now, in terms of the agent, Roberto Calenda, and I would say all agents, their role is to protect the player from reputational damage or reputational matters. 
and all agents, I would say, and I, I would urge FIFA also to have on their CPD, on their platform, some training on PR, public relations, in other words, or crisis management, because this media article goes out worldwide and hurt someone's reputation. I mean, Napoli, if you look it down, maybe it's a misunderstanding, maybe it just got through. We're not here for any blame game. However, this type of crisis management is very important for the agent or the advisor to control for the player. And I think Roberto Calenda got on the front foot here to ensure that he responded to this incident. I don't know what your thoughts are, Jonathan. I think with articles like this, we need to be careful. Even when you've got the inside sources, it's not always an accurate picture. But from the reports we've seen and looking at the wider context and also the video which I saw, I was stunned. I was stunned that such a stupid thing was done. I can totally understand why the player and many other people were offended. And if it was my client player, I'd be angry as well. Um, but putting my football mediation hat on, despite as a mediator, I'm not really allowed to pass judgments or jump to conclusions. I would ask the following. One, was this a case of a club media department being overexcited, which seems to happen quite a lot nowadays? Or does. To lesser, lesser and greater extent. And what education and guideline were in place for them? Two, what processes are in place to sanction such releases? Because this isn't a reaction. This isn't a social media reaction as sometimes players, agents, club owners sometimes fall foul to. It's an emotional thing. It's after a match, after something's been published and they, they lash out. Someone's come up with this idea. Someone's created the video. Someone's sanctioned it and someone's uploaded it. Surely someone has said, looking at it, wait a minute, this isn't right. And three... How could it have been better managed and how could the situation have been better addressed? I think we appreciate the players are often perfectionists when it comes to what they do on the pitch. Some players can put their errors and bad performances behind them within as little as 24 hours, whilst others beat themselves up mentally over a prolonged period because of a bad performance or even a missed penalty. And that is without others ridiculing. They are their own worst critics. What I would say, however, is that in cases when the agent is genuinely interested in the welfare of their client, as you rightly said, some can make a knee-jerk reaction. It's a really difficult judgment to make and the task of placating the player and or not upsetting the club to the detriment of the player. Now, for me, in this case, the agent seems to have managed the situation well thus far from what I've read. To show so quickly their support for their client, tell the club in no uncertain terms and the player that they aren't happy and the club needs to rectify matters. Because if I'm not mistaken, the agent basically said they reserve the right to take legal action. They didn't actually do it. Correct. So Roberto Calenda, from what I've seen reported, I think you've done a good job for what it's worth. Hats off to you. I haven't seen anything from FIFPRO on the incident, but I may have missed it, or they are investigating to get all the facts first before they make a statement. Some cynics may think there is more to this and not necessarily from the club, the agent or the player. But in my mind, the only joke in all of this are the people who thought it right to create and release such a stupid, if not offensive video. And that isn't the club as a whole. I can't see a club deliberately trying to antagonise and alienate a player who scored 31 goals last season and was instrumental part of a championship winning campaign. The agent could have approached it differently, yes, but in this case, I totally understand their approach. So to sum it all up, it's a right FFA art, sorry, a mess, and shouldn't basically have happened. Well, we don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes, but it was pulled down very quickly. However, for the agent, it's about protecting their player, which was done in this case, but also keeping the good relationship with Napoli going because he's such an important player for Napoli. Napoli's really provided him a platform where down the future he might go on a bigger transfer. So it's that balance. Now I think it's time we pivot to our interview. We've got a very important guest someone who has led agents, part of one of the bigger organizations in the agent association, somebody who knows the importance of agents in the business, who understands and really puts forward the agent's view to all stakeholders, including FIFA. I would like to introduce now our special guest, Patty Dominguez, who's the president at PROFA, the Professional Football Agents Association. Patty is a football agent with huge experience in the United Kingdom, Spain, Ireland, the USA, Australia, amongst other nations. Patty is a member of the FIFA Football Agents Working Group, 
And Paddy also prides himself in helping other agents in assisting their businesses and giving you mentoring and building up their skill base. Paddy, welcome to The Agents Angle. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Jonathan. And thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Paddy, if we can start and just take you back a little bit in terms of your agent journey, how did you first get involved in the football industry and what made you want to be a football agent or a sports agent? As we know that you've also been involved in other sports. Sure. Um, That's not taking me back a little bit, Peter. That's taking me back an awful lot. 33 years, actually. A third of a century is more than a little, I should imagine. As a young lad, Peter, like many, many people out there, uh, I had a very huge passion for sports. I was always interested in pursuing a career in the sports industry of some form. My particular passion was playing and coaching. So I actually set out originally to be a coach. And I started to do my coaching badges when I left secondary school. I had a real passion for that. I did very, very well at coaching very quickly. Got my badges very quickly at a very young age. That exposed me to the professional side of sports very early. And from there, players, just athletes approached me and sort of asked me if I would manage them. I didn't really know much about it as a young 19-year-old. So very much I just grew organically, but it was organically grown through my passion for sports. And it sort of evolved more from coaching, moving into agency side of work and managing athletes and, and players. So that was kind of my beginning and my evolution. You've been heavily involved in the whole FIFA football agents regulations. I don't want to use the word, but I will saga since 2018 where there was initial meetings and I believe some meetings with key agents from around the world between FIFA and those key agents. And you pretty much remained involved in PROFA all this time in terms of engaging with FIFA on this FFIR. We saw the schedule implementation finally being 1st of October, the full implementation of the FFIR four days ago at the time of this recording. Can you just give us a brief overview of what has gone on as part of PROFA during that time of, say, five or more years in relation to the FFIR? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. So yeah, in um, April, May of 2018, I mean, obviously FIFA had been doing some work on this beforehand, but around that date, FIFA invited, I think it was around 26 individual agents, which were basically a representation of the high end of the market and also geographical spread of agents globally to basically come to FIFA and present to them their thought process on sort of re-regulating, if you like, the agent industry. But it was basically foundation for the current FFAR to basically say, look, since they introduced intermediaries back in April 2015, it just hadn't worked. The original premise behind this in a very basic layman's terms was that they felt too much money was leaving football because there was an awful lot of publicity by what I suppose the media have labeled as super agents and the amount of fees that they were taking. And so I think in the governing body's eyes, it became a case of this this is just getting out of control and it's painting a really bad picture of how much money is leaving the game. So that brought FIFA to try and re-regulate the industry. And 2018, they presented their initial thoughts throughout the following five years up until obviously they came into force on Sunday just past. We've tried to consult with them, explain to them from an agent's perspective what we see as the things that can't and won't work with their rules and regulations. Obviously, there's been plenty of debate from various associations, individuals, and also people from the outside who haven't been internally involved in the consultations have made their thoughts known, whether it's through social media, regular media, or have actually had meetings with FIFA independently to tell them their thoughts. But fundamentally, not a huge amount has changed from that original presentation in 2018. FIFA pretty much stuck to what they proposed back then, which has led, obviously, to an awful lot of anger and cynicism from people in regards to the FFAR that came into force. But there was a five-year period where many people made it known that there were many, many aspects of the FFAR that they didn't accept, didn't feel would work, and fundamentally just felt were completely unfair to the agent industry. During the process of FFAR, the engagement, the consultation, if I can call it that, many others chose to walk away from being involved or engaging with the FFAR at various points in time. What were the reasons why PROFA, with its members from around the world being an international football agent body, and you, importantly as the president, stayed connected in terms of trying to deal with FIFA on FFAR and influence certain positive matter? The thought process from the board of PROFA and also from the members, we we don't do anything unless the members of PROFA voted to say we want this to happen. Even as a board, it's not us that just take a decision and go ahead. We just provide the information from being inside the consultation process to the members. We tell them what's been said, what's happened. We suggest courses of action and then the members vote on what they want to do. 
We made it very clear at the beginning, we would always retain the right to take action closer to the time when the FFAR may or may not come into force. It's never a case that we've ever said that we were just going to consult, consult, consult. We always said we will continue to consult as long as there's an open dialogue, um, but we retain the right to take action. And that's what our members wanted to happen. So we remained in the consultation process ongoing to try and constantly convince FIFA that these rules and regulations will not work in their form. Always knowing that towards the end, if we felt they wouldn't listen, if we felt the consultation process or the dialogue wasn't going anywhere, we would take action. That's exactly what we did. Once we reached the end of, of the road and we felt, okay, it's getting close to the time when the FFAR may be implemented, we took action, which is exactly what we always promised from day one. The others have the right to walk away if they wish and, and pursue legal action, but who knows with their support and if they had remained in the process and there was more voices and there was more people attacking the areas that need to be fixed, um, we may have had an outcome, but it doesn't seem to me a logical, sensible or even intelligent thing to do to leave a dialogue when it's still there open. Uh, yeah, of course, maybe you can't change things, but the crime is not to fail. The crime is not to try, in my view. So that's what we did. We tried to consistently deliver the message to FIFA that these rules and regulations need changing. They chose not to change it. That's fine. We took action, as we said we would, and others presumably will continue to take action. Hopefully, even the action that we've taken will help to provide some information and provide something for other action. Profa's view is any agent association action that is successful is a success for everybody. We don't have a siege mentality at Profa. I'm going to choose my words carefully at this point. We find ourselves in a bit of a mess, to put it politely, with FFAR and what is a fractured regulatory system at the moment. And it gets more fractured day by day, as we've seen with Germany and now England, and from what we understand, Scotland as well, and other countries all having these various fractured regulatory frameworks around FFAR. What do you think have been the mistakes made by those involved, not just FIFA, in the whole FFAR engagement process? I think people just automatically expected that a consultation process would be FIFA would put out the FFAR, people would say, no, I don't like that, remove that, and that would happen. And, and that's not what a consultation process is. It's just the right to have dialogue and discuss. There's no onus on either party to be successful in a consultation I fundamentally think that we need to rewind the tape even further back. There's no doubt, and I think everybody sort of agrees, there are certain aspects of the FFAR which are very good. Yeah. In fact, there are many aspects of it, let's be honest. Different people put out different numbers. They say 70% is good, 30 is bad, 80 is good, 20 is bad, whatever your number is. The problem, in my view, is the small portion that we all agree is bad is so bad, it completely overlaps the good stuff. And so I just think they got it wrong from day one. But also, if the issue, and again, it was this was absolutely made clear from day one back in 2018, too much money is leaving football. I don't know that the solution to that money leaving football was to just take all the agents and put them in a little box and tie it up because the money doesn't originate with agents. The money comes from the clubs. That's where it starts. It doesn't start in an agent's bank account. And there's many other parties, I think, are complicit to all this money that exits the game, let's say, using their terms. And so to just punish one group who happen to be the only group that are not an official stakeholder just seems like a very easy way out of fixing that. Yes, regulating things like licensing, I agree. I think that's a good thing that we have agents. And, and agents want that because we want to be seen as professionals and some form of regulation allows us to be a professional entity. The transparency of a clearinghouse to ensure that agents get paid and get paid on time and get paid correctly, they're all very positive things. And, and they're things you could have introduced but some of the bad elements just completely came over the top of all of that stuff. Telling people you can only earn so much for a living, and by the way, it's, it's enough to ensure that you don't earn a living, is not a very nice way of, of trying to ruin people's businesses that they may have built over the course of eight years. If you built a restaurant for the past eight years and someone came and just took the keys and said, thank you for your time, you defend yourself as best you can. And that's all agents are doing is defending the businesses they've been building for eight years under regulations that FIFA put in place. It's not the agent's fault. They were the one who deregulated it in 2015. So to punish agents, as it were, this set of rules, leaving out stakeholder bodies like the clubs, the players, the leagues, they're all party to these things, but they just seem relatively untouched. So there's a lot, I think, the consultation process, there was no change. So I can understand a huge level of anger and cynicism towards that, because you would expect if it was a genuine consultation process, after five years of pointing out that this is not acceptable and this won't work, that the penny would drop somewhere along the line. 
And when you're intelligent people, reasonable people, you normally reach a compromise, right? Yes. If you don't reach any compromise, then of course the question mark says that was it a consultation process? Absolutely. And I think the three of us and many of those listening could quite happily sit here for many hours and debate the quote of taking money out of the game, whether it be somebody tending to the quality of pitches or somebody printing the programs or somebody supplying the bibs, yep. cones, and even the pies on a match day. But FIFA supposedly introduced the FFAR to reform the role of football agents in the international transfer system. What, in your opinion, were the critical shortcomings in the previous system, the RWWI, the regulations on working with intermediaries, that necessitated those reforms? Well, I think one of the most obvious ones is conflicts of interest, right? Where you had agents that just acted for absolutely every single party involved in a transfer. So an agent would act for the player, he would act for the selling club, he would act for the buying club. So um, not just FIFA, other stakeholder bodies just said, well, in that instance, this guy is a conflict of interest. He can completely control the transaction to his own benefit um, at a loss to one, two, or all of the parties um, because that person has control over all three sides of a transaction. So... Conflict of interest was a huge issue with that. Um, obviously, um, when they, I think they frame things incorrectly sometimes or poorly thought out. So money leaving football, um, yeah, I think you know you you read the media loves to obviously put out the fact that in a deal, of whatever a deal of a hundred million and an agent made fifteen million pounds, and that seems horrendous to everybody. Because it's not explained, etc. Just people just say, "Wow, that guy's made fifteen million pounds today and done what? Made a few phone calls." So it's a very sort of basic picture that's painted. Um, so I think you know people needed to examine a little bit more the nature of a transaction before just saying, "Well, that's just too much money casually, and let's just stop all that from happening." Because again, like I say, um, in a transaction where some guys paid tens of millions of pounds um, for a transfer. If you have the two clubs willing to pay that person, then shouldn't we be asking the clubs why they're willing to pay that much money? Um, it can't solely be the agent. And the way to tackle that is not to suddenly say, well, an agent can't make £15 million in a transaction. He can only make max £200,000, but he can deliver £150 million worth of value to all parties. So it's, it, the whole thing was just very basic. It wasn't really examined. I think the lack of understanding of what a week, a month, a year in an agent's life is a big part of these regulations. It was just people looking from the outside, looking at the shop window without going inside the shop to see what actually goes in past the shop window. I think, Paddy, that's a perfect point. And we're, we're going to ask one of our stock questions here that we ask of all our guests as listeners will know. If you could describe the football agents' world and industry in one word, what would it be and why? Pre or post FFA or I'll, I'll give you both. How about that? That's perfect. Two for one. Pre FFA or just unregulated. Post FFA or fragmented. They would be the two words. And and when I say fragmented, if I could put in brackets on that, to yet further fragment. One of FIFA's spoken objectives of FFAR is to enhance transparency and regulate the activities of football agents. How do you think these changes will influence transparency and the credibility of the industry as a whole? And also, how do you say this affects in the dynamics of player representation and also transfer negotiations? I think, uh, and actually I'll take you back to that initial meeting in 2018 and FIFA's very initial presentation, and I think it may have been slide three on that presentation or slide four. There was a stat that FIFA told everybody, which was under licensed agents prior to 2015, only 26 or 27% of all transfer deals were done through licensed agents, which for them was a big reason that they deregulated it because they realized we're not regulating it anyway. We have the headaches of regulation, the course of regulation, but 73% of all deals are being done outside the system anyway. So I think on that basis, that's why they deregulated it. Now that they've re-regulated it, I would expect a serious chunk of the market to go back underground. What I anticipate will happen is agents will become very creative. They will find ways, as always, to do deals outside of the regulations. 
There will be some transparency and some elements that will make it difficult, but I still think it won't really have an impact or really change things because these guys will continue to operate. Just they'll become creative, they'll find ways to circumvent the rules and regulations. I think you'll have to continuously update these rules and regulations, keep trying to close loopholes, but as always, they'll find more loopholes. Players, very simply, in general, players build relationships with agents. I think FIFA Pro put out a document years ago that said most professional footballers, on average, have two agents throughout the whole of their career. So they're unlikely to start from their agents who they may trust. I mean, ultimately, a footballer will be more focused on his career and then, you know, what that can deliver for him because he has a finite working life. So with the player side of things, we'll wait and see what impact it has. But it'll put pressure on the marketplace. There's a lot of relationships. There's people who've built things who I don't think will walk away so easily. It'll come back to what I said previously. How complicit will the other stakeholders, clubs, leagues be in allowing that to happen? I I don't picture, for example, in England, the Premier League will take serious action against clubs who decide they want to pay a consultant, let's say, to assist in a transfer and, and what that may look like or how that may look. It's a very challenging situation, and I think we discussed previously that a lot of people haven't passed the exam and they've got current businesses, so how are they going to deal with the future? They've got businesses that have been last six, seven, eight years, they've built up a client base, and how they deal with not just the FFAR, but the agent business going forward and what happens to them. So there are a lot of challenges going forward. I think, Peter, on that point, that the real, I suppose, tsunami of this, in my opinion, will come within about... 12 months to 24 months time because as you're aware people have existing contracts in place um, under the FFA or they're allowed natural expiry right correct so there's a, a large cabal of agents for example who've just failed the two agent exams who maybe still have contracts that have 12 or 18 months left before they reach that natural expiration when that natural expiration happens that is when we are going to see an enormous amount of activity one way or another, good, bad, indifferent. And that's when everyone's going to be chasing their tails, trying to work out what do we do here. I think there's a lot of people that just hope that there will be sufficient legal cases brought that X amount will stick and the regulations will all be changed before that natural expiry of my contracts. However, if that doesn't happen, it'll be a very challenging situation when those natural expiration dates start to kick in. At that point of talking with Paddy about the uncertainty of the current situation surrounding FFAR and agent regulations, not least the problems it brings for agents old and new and the need for them to adapt, I think it's a good point to take a short break from the interview. And I believe, Peter, you have some further updates from the last week in regards to developments with FFAR regionally and the subsequent NFAR. Yes, I've looked at a few other countries, Canada, Ireland, New Zealand and Denmark. And at the moment, Canada, New Zealand and Ireland don't have a full update of their implementation. Canada does in the sense that it's referring to the FIFA football agent regulations, but in terms of nationalising those and putting some of their own elements, that hasn't happened. Ireland and New Zealand have not done updates. They're interesting markets. But one country that has, and it seems like, I think I mentioned the last episode, Scandinavia, I talked about Norway and Sweden, Denmark has issued a circular, circular number 125 of this year, issued by the Board of Directors of the Danish Football Association, that applies to all agents operating in Denmark, but also that it focuses on any Danish agents or agents that are operating in Denmark who are doing international deals. And that's interesting because I've noticed with both Norway, Sweden and Denmark, they're outward looking in terms of their regs. They know the business in the sense that agents, yes, they're operating in the national space, but they're moving players here and there. Denmark's also interesting because it's right next door to Germany where the injunction happens. So interesting how they would react to that. But I picked some elements from that circular, which basically sets out their regulations. Most of it follows the FIFA football agent regulations, but there have been quite a few interesting differences or add-ons that are quite unique. And I'll mention a few of them. One is any negotiation conclusion of an under-18 minor contract can be done by a guardian or parent. They can act for the minor, in other words, without them being a licensed agent. That's very interesting because, as we know, relatives and all that all now have to be licensed. However, in this case, there is, in terms of an under-18 minor, the parent or guardian does not have to be to negotiate a professional contract. Secondly, in terms of loading up representative agreements on the Danish system, in terms of the Danish Football Association platform, 
For each single agreement you lodge, you have to pay administration fee of 500 Danish krona. But it's interesting that they're charging a fee each time you upload a representative agreement. I haven't seen that before. We know that FIFA expects down the track when the platform, it is fully functional, but when there's opportunities to load contracts, that I don't believe there'll be a cost impost on that. But in Denmark, there's a small cost for each single representative agreement that's lodged by an agent. Further, representative agreements in Denmark must have real economic content, including payment, how it's going to be paid, the service fee, et cetera. But this term of real economic content is, I think the Danish FA wants to ensure that these agreements are clear cuts in their financial terms and there's no vagaries. I've never heard that term, real economic content. It may be a translation from Danish. However, that's quite interesting. The other thing that I found unique is the Danish Football Association encourages all agents to take professional indemnity insurance. That's stipulated in this circular. So they actually outline the fact that although it's not prescriptive or we know the FIFA had it before, I think in the second draft of their regulations, but took it out as a compulsory, every agent had that professional indemnity insurance, which can be difficult to obtain, I would say, in Africa sometimes, maybe in South America. It's more readily available, I would say, in the US, maybe England, Australia, some other countries. But in Denmark, they've actually encouraged the agents to take professional indemnity insurance, the agents that are registered with them. So that's quite interesting. The Danish have taken their own path in this, Jonathan. I think just hearing there from you, what you said about the Danish FA and that, I always knew that the Danish football elements were pretty hot on stuff like this. But I think from what you've told me there, that's the first time I've heard it. We haven't pre-briefed on this section. I think that's really encouraging. I think those are some really good and sensible steps there. Yeah, it's very interesting that uh, they've not just adopted the national football agents model that FIFA wants national football associations in most countries, obviously for Italy and France are exceptions, to adopt. But they've gone beyond that, looked at their local scene, but also looked at other improvements. And I think the Danish one, from what I've read so far, and I want to do a comparative analysis, and I think a lot of agents and people interested in regulation, football lawyers, etc., agent regulation, will find very interesting. And now we're moving to the second part of Paddy Dominguez's interview. We were focusing on the CAS challenge, the Court of Arbitration challenge to FIFA and the FFAR by Profa, the organization that Paddy led, and also his reflections on other cases and challenges and also how the regulations will go forward, including in terms of the working group that is a part of the FIFA working group. On this podcast, we've been following a lot of the cases I guess from Germany, describe what the situation is ever since the injunction in the Dortmund court. We've been following the Rule K arbitration, which in the next month or two, we should have a decision. Mm -hmm. We're following some other uh, litigation, including the one in Belgium, the football forum. In terms of yourself and Profa, you were part of one challenge at the Court of Arbitration of Sport, Profa v FIFA. It got a lot of media attention, that decision. was amplified throughout the agent's world. I know that you're subject to confidentiality and you can't give the full picture of what all the submissions were, although all of us have read that decision. Can you give us an insight into your view of the decision and having a look back and reflecting on it and what your whole experience was from the CAS arbitration? I've reflected on it, Peter. Obviously, I'm extremely disappointed. I understand there's often cynicism out there and you can read about it online and stuff in relation to CAS and governing bodies and FIFA in particular. However, we weren't fearful about that, mainly because we just genuinely could not see how any court, whether it's CAS or the courts in Germany, Belgium, when they look at this and they see particularly the cap on someone's livelihoods and earnings, we just couldn't imagine how it's possible for anyone to say that's permissible. Now, CAS, for whatever reason, have decided that it's reasonable and the FIFA are entitled to impose that. Um, I'm stunned by that. I, I honestly, there's nothing that they can say that can convince me that that's, uh, that's a fair ruling to allow that to happen. Other things are debatable. You know, there are some people who, in their um, actions against FIFA, they frame it as FIFA don't have the rights, they don't recognise them as the world governing body. And that wasn't our position. Our position was just that as the governing body, what FIFA was proposing, there were many elements that we just felt were unlawful and fundamentally unfair. 
but yeah, we were extremely disappointed. Um, we always said, by the way, that when we took the cast case, partly we had hoped that win, lose or draw in that case. We hoped that other um, people who were taking action against the FFA or would at least learn something or pick over the bones of it and be able to take something to their legal teams and in whatever nature they intend to take action, that it could be useful to them. So it was never deemed as a complete waste of time. We had hoped to win on the cap issue. We felt that on the other issues, that could swing either way. But ultimately, yeah, Cass ruled as they ruled. And yeah, we were very disappointed with that ruling. Hopefully, like I said, it will help others to be successful. Because again, in Profo's eyes, a win by any agent association is a win for all. I think there's a few of us that have that view. There's obviously some that don't and then just want to publicize their own efforts and self-interest. But we don't wish anybody bad. We hope that somebody is successful in at least changing the FFA or keeping the good elements, but certainly changing the elements that everyone is unified that are just not acceptable. Now, onto something that I've responded to online quite publicly. And I know you're somebody who speaks openly, honestly, yet thoughtfully on things and how they impact on others. Some insinuated at various points and also after the CAS hearing or even labelled Profer pretty much a FIFA ally or fictional organisation created by FIFA for the purpose of so-called consultation. And we do put that in inverted commas. I think all three of us put the phrase consultation in inverted commas. What is your response to such an accusation? And just briefly, give us an overview of Profa. We had already been planning it for some time. And what actually happened was the initial sort of three meetings with FIFA were, as I said previously, individual agents. Then FIFA decided actually they needed to deal with associations of agents rather than individuals for whatever reason. So fortunately, we had already been planning and, and putting Profa in place. We didn't want Profa to be specific to one country because we wanted to reflect what agents in many countries were thinking. We wanted to genuinely act as a voice for every agent. You didn't have to be a successful agent earning millions, and neither were we here to disenfranchise agents who were young agents building a business who didn't make much money. It was just a vehicle for all to have a voice and, and engage every type of agent from any geographical location. Take on board their information, take on board their comments and present them to FIFA through an organized channel, which was Profa. Again, I've, I've referenced before, there are some associations that are really just there to protect the monopolistic sort of positions they hold within the sport. They don't at all act for agents around the world. They wouldn't have a clue what happens to a young agent in India or Vietnam or Africa. And that's fine. I actually don't even have a problem with that. If that's what they want to do, that's them. But they love to sling mud at other uh, associations. And every time they sling mud, they simply demonstrate that they can never actually have a voice on behalf of all agents. That's just an attempt to be the loudest person in the room. Um, we generally work with other associations and we work well with them. Um, we present opinions from all over the world, not from the top end of the game, but from all levels. There are agents in Profa who make huge amounts of money. And there are young lads in Profa who spent two, three years now trying to build a, an agency and everything in between that exists. So, yeah, we're not an ally of FIFA's. Uh, anyone who's been to the meetings, and most of these guys, by the way, slinging mud, haven't even been in those meetings to be able to comment on that. I've been the loudest voice against FIFA. I've been the person in the meetings who's most told FIFA what they're doing wrong consistently. I'm the one who's sitting in cast telling them that what FIFA's doing wrong and how it impacts the families, not just the lives of the agents themselves. Um, so I'm not an ally of FIFA. Do I have dialogue with FIFA, as I'm supposed to do as the president of Profa, because how else do I present the views and concerns of, of our members if I don't have dialogue? I think, well, I'm absolutely sure that Peter and I agree that agents need a representative voice. They need a representative body that has been so badly lacking for so many years. And we covered that in an interview with Paolo Lombardi, who I'm sure you know, who's former FIFA regulator. Now he advises agents, clubs, players on various issues. With regards to that representative voice, obviously the players have FIFA Pro. The clubs have elements such as ECA, although that's at the top level. We've now got the Union of European Clubs as well. What do you foresee as the future for a representative agent's body? Is it a pipe dream? Is it the responsibility of the agents to do that? Or does it need the likes of FIFA to come forward and encourage the establishment of a one voice 
truly representative voice for agents to truly be seen as stakeholders. Jonathan, that is the number one goal of PROFA. It's the number one goal of what the members of PROFA want to see. It's the number one goal of other agents associations that PROFA work with. I think a huge part of the reason we're in this predicament, if you call it that, with the FFAR is, as I mentioned much earlier in this podcast, FIFA went after agents to fix the problem of so-called money leaving football because we were the only one with no stakeholder body. We were the easy target. They didn't go after FIFA Pro to say player salaries are going crazy, right? FIFA's not addressing that. They don't approach clubs to say, well, you know, you guys, your spending's massively out of control. They're all left untouched. The reason they're left untouched is they have stakeholder bodies and stakeholder representation of FIFA. Same way as the member associations who've made huge errors in these FIFA exams will be left alone because effectively the structure is that member associations own FIFA. So all these stakeholder bodies are completely untouched, sit outside sort of any retribution for their actions. But agents are in this position because we don't have a stakeholder group. And so we need to have a stakeholder group because with a stakeholder group, what just happened over the last five years, that doesn't happen. Consultation in that case, if we were actually recognized stakeholder group and we said, this is not acceptable, this needs changed, that would have been listened to and most likely acted upon. The only reason none of what we have said over five years has been acted upon or listened to is because we are not a recognized stakeholder group. When that happens, and it's not a pipe dream, it will absolutely happen. And slowly but surely, I think stakeholders like FIFA Pro recognize this will happen. When it happens, that's when actual real concerns, real issues will get dealt with and acted upon. Until then, we just have to continue the fight because to just walk away silently, take legal action, hope the legal action is successful is not really the way forward. That's a short term fix. And even if some of these legal actions in various countries are successful, FIFA has the ability, as they may do with Germany, to annex those places. There's still a huge amount of world outside of three or four countries. The real full fix is to have a stakeholder group that will be listened to and what they say is acted upon. They recognize a FIFA, actually, and, and it was even the very first line in the CAS case by FIFA's KC was that agents are recognized as an integral part of the transfer system. If we're so integral to the football family and the transfer system, why haven't we got a stakeholder group? Certainly when you face them in court, they like to highlight the importance of agents. And then the minute you leave court, well, yeah, you're very important, but you still can't have a stakeholder group. And hopefully as well, that will help to bring together all these associations, you know, even the ones that love and try and denigrate other um, associations. When the dust settles, they'll be welcome as well to come in because no one's trying to marginalise or disenfranchise. Paddy, you mentioned change and influencing change now that the FFA are in place. You're a member of the FIFA Agents Working Group, as are other agents, also delegates from ECA and I believe FIFA Pro as well. Is this FIFA Agents Working Group Committee a catalyst for ensuring changes and suitable changes are made to the FFA in the future? My hope is that it's a first step or start towards formal stakeholder group. Um, I suppose time will tell, right? Um, we've only had one meeting. It was a half a day meeting. A certain portion of that was introductory. So we didn't really have a huge amount of time to delve into many matters. And there should be another one upcoming in this quarter at some stage. Plus, now that the FFAR have been implemented, this will be a very lively conversation the next time around. And we have a lot of things that we've seen occur that we can discuss if things are raised in this fog, they're not acted upon or not considered properly. Well, we're back to the last five years of consultation, right? Just under a different title. I'll try to be positive as I can that it is the stepping stone because, as you rightly point out, the other stakeholder groups are finally in the room now. There's two members from FIFA Pro there, member from ACA. So there is other representation there to listen to what people have to say. And by the way, those guys were addressed directly in the FOG meeting, which is great to be able to not have to bounce off FIFA and wonder if the information secondhand has actually reached the way it was delivered. We saw 13,000, 14,000 people apply for the two exams, maybe more, yeah. worldwide. What strategies and initiatives, not just only from your profit perspective, do you think can help elevate the professionalism and reputation of football agents, both individually and collectively on a global scale? I think things like this podcast are amazing. And I can't tell you individually, I get a huge amount of volume of phone calls, messages, emails from agents around the world, not profit members, just agents nonstop. And they're all looking for information. They're all looking for education. They're all looking for some direction. And I suppose we don't have a unified platform to deliver all this kind of thing yet. So it's left to people like Profa, like your podcast, which is very high level of information for people. I think we just have to continue along this way until we can try to centralize 
some of it and then everyone just starts to get to know that you know if i want to know everything and anything at a very high level about any matters to do with agents these are the well-respected key areas i can go to and listen to but i think these are things that are going to take a bit of time there's an opportunity to build these kinds of things and build respected platforms where agents can gravitate to um, and say look if we stay here we know that we're going to get good information so it's it's a time issue i think to develop these places where agents can successfully access good information about being professional like you say because fundamentally we all want that anybody who's a professional in anything is respected because people recognize their industry as a profession and we have to be there we have to get to that stage where people understand that we provide a service like other people do in other industries we need people to feel comfortable and feel we can respect and approach a professional agent to help us because they know what to do and and they're trusted the same i know from my dealings with profa being part of the australian agents association a lot of profa members are smaller agents how do you see the FFAR affecting smaller agents operating in the international space? You think it's going to have a big impact? Huge, Peter. And that's the group I worry about the most because they are the most affected. It's very simple. Um, we did some case studies with people. We just pulled them from various places. We couldn't get a huge amount of detailed information. I'll tell you the reason why without mentioning anybody's names or where they're from some of these agents that you describe make so little money, they were so embarrassed, they didn't want to speak to us about giving us details so that we could get a clear picture of their business, which was very sad to hear. Some of them are in really bad situations. I said this in CAS in my closing statements to the group. I said, it's not just the FFAR are taking out an agent. Behind that agent, there is a family. There is possibly a wife. There are probably children who go to school. It's a business like any other business. It's like somebody owned a restaurant or somebody owned any other type of business. And you take that business away. You're not just taking some agent's business away. You're taking away a whole family's revenue and income. And you have to think about close to 13,000 families that you're affecting. You tell me what happens to any business in the world if you wake up tomorrow and they tell you that you're now capped at making one third of what you've made in the past. Uh, most people would have to close down. Look, I've done very well at a professional sport. I don't have to get involved in any of this. I can sit at home and then just continue doing what I do. Um, honestly, the amount of time and effort that this takes is I never imagined it was going to be like this. And if I had my time again, I wonder would I have done it. But I do do it. and I said I would do it, so I have to keep doing it. Um, but I've come down this road and, and they're the very people that I've tried to convince FIFA that, you know, you're harming these types of people who have no voice and no power to stop you. They can't afford ACs to take on cases against you in court. They just have to accept. Some of the bigger agents don't really care. They just care about, well, as long as I can protect my castle, I'm fine. Um, and that's fine. I have no problem with them doing that. That's their prerogative. They're entitled to do that if they wish to do But look, ultimately, my hope is that enough national laws will intervene here. So, I mean, since Sunday, right, we've seen the English FA have pushed back on, on the FFAR. We know what's happening in Germany. We have a case in Belgium. I don't know if that Dutch case will get resurrected in some form or another. Um, Australia have said they can't adopt the commission cap because it's illegal in Australia. So those provisions of the FFAR have been left out. So bit by bit, I think the FFAR will just get chipped away and you can keep annexing. But how many areas do you keep annexing before you just say there's too many annexations and we can't afford to just keep annexing places where governments have ruled that this is illegal? And I, I said this from day one. I said, look, we're actually trying to save you headaches that you are absolutely running towards. While I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a politician. There's enough countries out there where I think some of the um, provisions within the FFAR just are not acceptable under national law. I think it'll get defeated bit by bit. Because we are living with FFAR right now in most of the international countries, you know, over 150 at least. Were there any tips you would give to agents in order to operate in this environment, at least to maintain a good business and deal with FFAR? Again, this is my message to everybody Despite some of the things that I've addressed here, there's a huge proportion of the FFAR that I think is good. It's reasonable. It's fair. It helps to professionalize our industry, give a professional impression of agents. So I don't want people to think it's all just completely doom and gloom. I just think fundamentally these are businesses and as operating businesses, the bad elements of the FFAR, particularly the commission cap, makes it untenable to actually operate a business. FIFA don't think it's untenable, but they get paid a fixed salary. They love to say, well, in a deal this size, you could make $35,000. And if you did 10 of those deals, you'd make $350,000. And that's a great deal. It's called commission because you have to actually do a deal to get paid. And if in a calendar year you do zero deals, you don't need to worry about whether you earn 10% or 3% because the percentage of zero is still zero. And they don't see that. 
because there are plenty of agents that sometimes in a calendar year do no deals whatsoever and have zero income and have to pray that the following year they might get five deals done, for example. And maybe, yeah, they will get $30,000 or something for each deal and make $150,000. But if they have two calendar years where they don't do any deals, you're done anyway. So we're stuck with the FFAR for now. It is what it is in certain territories. Some places obviously have a little bit of leeway for the time being, but I think everyone has to just try and survive the initial period. Peter would be my answer. I think you'll see a huge gravitation towards, and it's already been happening over the past three, four months. Agents are trying to, where they can do, by the way, because it's not possible for every agent, redesign their business, as you see, take advantage of the 10% for the engaging club, because that's the kind of figure that they need to be at to try and make a living. I don't think many will be successful. So it is bleak from a business perspective. I can only hope that the relief that agents will get is that in time, if they can be patient, if they can survive, that they try to wait out some of the commission caps being defeated in enough places that it gets dealt with properly. I wish I had better tips. Obviously, when FIFA put out anything with a German link, something that falls outside at the moment, by the way, while the injunction holds up. So... I suppose, exploit that tenuous link as best as you can. So if shopping at Aldi creates you a German link, do that. Make sure you put in your contracts that you have a German link and the commission caps don't apply to you. Yes, uh, the German link is causing a lot of, uh, yeah, everyone's talking about the German link. And finally, if you had one wish for the football agents industry right now, what would it be? I wish that football agents would very quickly and successfully have a recognized stakeholder group at FIFA that can obviously represent agents formally with ACA, FIFA Pro, FIFA and member associations. A body like that is the ultimate sort of protectorate, if you want, for football agents. It's something that has real power, real teeth to be able to represent any issues that agents experience in any part of the world. So for Christmas, that's what my wish will be, that Santa delivers a football agent stakeholder group at FIFA, fully funded, by the way, as the others are. So Yes, yes. A lot of stakeholders, obviously, are fully funded. And unfortunately, the agent stakeholders are on the outside. But thank you so much for, for me and Jonathan for coming on the podcast. We'd really appreciate you coming on and discussing, obviously, the Cass case and all your thoughts on FAR. I think it's one of the first times you've spoken after the CAS outcome between Profer and FIFA. So we really appreciate you coming onto our podcast and we wish you all the best in the future. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, love your podcast and hopefully you, know, you continue to deliver very high content like this for agents to be able to gravitate towards and get information from. And Jonathan, that is an absolutely fantastic interview by Paddy. Really gave us a passionate discourse of what drove Profa and drove himself about trying to improve the regulations, the challenge with FIFA, the Profa challenge in the Court of Arbitration of Sport. Really insightful, excellent. And also understanding he's just got such an understanding of the agent business and how it applies to smaller agents, how it applies regionally in different countries top understanding of how it all operates and that's the thing about patty and he breaks it down very simply for people too he's i don't want to say a narrator but the fact of the matter is just the way he puts his submissions and his arguments and his insights forward really makes it very easy for all of us whether you think you're at certain levels to understand the agency industry its challenges what's going to change and what's happening going forward I think some of the common threads that are coming through in the interviews, whether it be Paddy's or last week with Paolo, as well as the conversations we have with various people across the football agents industry, is this lack of a truly representative voice and stakeholder status for agents. But a light bulb moment from that interview and the conversations we had with Paddy was, does the football agents industry have suitable leaders to obtain stakeholder status and thus a truly representative voice? We have plenty of loud voices, vitriolic voices, but are they the right voices to be sensible and representative? Some of my self-criticism going back many years during my time with the AFA and Sophia and at times before and after that was that I wasn't strong enough, forthright enough in pushing for a representative voice. However, during my time with those two organisations and also separately pushing for proper agent regulations, I have met just two people who I believe have shown the proper leadership skills and values to fulfil that role. The first is the late Mel Steen, who we sadly lost a few years ago. And just one of Mel's many mantras was no regulation without representation. 
which seems very apt in this context of FFAR and agents as stakeholders. The second person is indeed Paddy, who I've come to know just over the last couple of years through the subject of FFAR. And before anyone says that is just because I'm a profa person, I'm not a profa member. Never have been, and at this time I don't have any driving ambition to join, and Paddy knows that. This is probably because I, like many other agents, feel that we've been let down too many times by so-called agents associations and the so-called leadership that goes with them. The one agent association I do choose to join next will have to prove many things to me. Hopefully some of those listening to the interview with Paddy will hear some reasons why I say this of Paddy, but words are often cheap and actions are what actually I believe shows someone's true credentials and intentions. I was there at CAS when Paddy made his closing statement. I wasn't there as pro for I was there as a voice of agents, as a witness for the so-called little people, so to speak. And although I won't divulge exactly what Paddy said, but it is only the second time I've heard someone truly speak on behalf of agents as a whole and truly represent the many rather than the few. And the only other person I've heard speak pragmatically and sincerely to a group in such a way over many years in the football agent world was Mel Steen. Albeit they had quite different backgrounds, approaches and personalities. Neither of them, however, suffer fools or get taken for granted. Both have or have had their critics, but from first-hand experience of working with them both on agent issues... They demonstrated that they both found time wherever possible to listen to and help both big and small elements of the football agent community. And with this, dare I say, they're leaders from the football agent world. This isn't a party political broadcast for Profer or to say I believe Paddy should be the spokesman for agents. In fact, I don't even know whether Paddy wants that, especially after what has been a tireless effort in fighting the bad parts of FFAR for many years now. I will just say that I am damn glad he's on this agent working group, as I know FIFA won't get an easy ride from him, and he will speak on behalf of those who don't have much of a voice in the agent's world. That's a good analysis in a way, I would say. I know Paddy gets so many messages or advice by a lot of smaller agents and always makes time for those agents to give them some advice on how to deal with certain issues, even regulations, but more about certain issues of the business. So you're right, Jonathan, it's great that he's on the FIFA Agents Working Group because he provides a different set of skills. He's been around a long time, negotiated a lot of deals, but he also understands the pulse, the feelings of, say, the smaller or mid-sized type agents and how this new operative space of the FFAR is going to apply. I want to now change to another article that just actually came out today. It's an article entitled, Harry Kane's brother is not on FIFA's list of registered agents, with a number of players' relatives who represent them also absent following the newly introduced test by the governing body. It's by Mike Keegan for the Daily Mail. It's dated today, 13th October 2023. And basically, it sets out that Charlie Kane, brother of Harry Kane of England, is among those not featured on the first directory published by the governing body, being FIFA, after the newly introduced tests. So we had tests in April. We had the September test, 2023. Obviously, we had some resets in England. But if anyone or you go onto the FIFA agents platform, looking for the directory of agents, there is no mention of Charlie Kane. Also, having a look at that directory, this article suggests also that Mark Bellingham, father of Jude Bellingham, is yet to be added as well. Don't know if he set the exam, but he's not on that platform. Also, the article says that there were, ahead of the exam, there was close to 15,000 agents who were registered to take it. However, the latest list, the directory right now, the FIFA directory as of today, features just 4,766 names right now. And this is people who've either been a legacy agent or passed the exam recently or in April. Obviously, with England, I and mean, as we know, in England, because of the arbitration, it's taking time for a final decision to be made about the national regulations in England. However, we know that brothers or cousins acting as agents, now it's all about being registered or getting the license. There's no real exemptions anymore, even for lawyers. Well, you know my opinion on some of the information that is sometimes published by the mail on subject of agents, Peter. But that said, credit where credit's due. They've been pretty hot on the agents topic recently, especially on FFAR and the matter of the exam. 
And yes, they do come up with some great scoops in terms of interesting angles and break some headline-grabbing agent stories. But I'm always keen to research the background of the article, scrutinise it and validate it as well as I can. And that isn't just with the mail. So plain devil's advocate here, does this article provide a complete representation of the story it seems to want to highlight? The answer for me, based on this article and the information available publicly, is that we simply don't know. And I doubt the news outlet does either. And sorry for this, folks, I think the more relevant story is the utter confusion that surrounds us with FFAR once again, whether internationally or nationally. And this is just one example of that, as we spoke about with Paddy in the interview and seem to talk about every week at this rate. But again, going back to play devil's advocate on the article in question, I would make the following observations and also ask some questions. From what we can tell, and at the time of recording, Charlie Kane is not on the FIFA agent's register, as Peter said. But one, it doesn't mean he hasn't registered to be a FIFA licensed agent and or passed the exam. Two, maybe his application is still awaiting FA and or FIFA approval. As many will know, this can take months. It's not necessarily a matter of hours or days. It can take months. Three, even then, he has, I believe, 90 days to pay from the point that an application is approved. Maybe he just hasn't got round to it. Or is he waiting to see the outcome of challenges in England, Germany and elsewhere? Four, as we have highlighted over recent episodes, there are many bugs on the FIFA agent platform. And maybe his omission is caused by just one of those bugs. But the FA intermediaries list as of the 5th of October. He is listed as an FA registered intermediary. And as we know, and Peter has explained at the time of recording, FFAR in England is on hold until the Rule K arbitration decision has been issued, which has a revised decision date of 30th of November, if not earlier. Although I think people should probably listen out around about the 3rd of November. Just my instinct. So this means he can still operate as an intermediary or agent in England for now, which I and others on the flip side of that I am FIFA registered, but not FA registered, meaning in some paradoxical fashion, I can operate pretty much everywhere as an agent under FFAR, apart from Italy, France and England, despite being English and residing in England. This, as you know, Peter, is by choice, as I refuse on principle to pay the FA a full-term intermediary registration fee for a partial term, not least as they're raked in millions of pounds in intermediary fees since 2015, with no disclosure of those funds and seemingly no benefit to the agents who paid either. And finally, if the article is referencing Charlie in some form of agent activity role solely in relation to his brother, Harry Kane is now a Bayern Munich player. And as such, I would say that creates a clear link to Germany. And as per the injunction in Germany over FFAR and the subsequent release from FIFA, I would say that any agent operating in relation to Harry Kane or his club has a link to Germany. And those dealings fall outside of the new FIFA football agent regulations. And hypothetically, if we froze the agent regulations at this time and opened the transfer windows, Charlie Kane could indeed represent his brother, subject to existing contracts, whether in Germany or England, and even facilitate a transfer to most places in the world. So I'm not going to call the article a non-story or say it's false, as in essence, based on Charlie Kane not being listed in FIFA's licensed agent register, at the moment it is factual at the time of publication. The disappointing thing for me is that by putting the attention-grabbing headline and reference to the England captain at the forefront of the article, it actually missed a far bigger issue regarding the mass confusion over FFAR once again. But I understand why they do it, as a headline mentioning Kane is far more interesting to the masses than what some may regard as boring agent regulations. And that is, after all, what sells papers and subscriptions. Yeah, and we can't preempt the reasons of why someone does not appear or on the FIFA agent directory portal, as you say, some applications are pending or some jurisdictions' names or agents haven't come across. And I agree, the name Kane attracts readers, as in this article, as does Bellingham, really hot names. But that's also part of the agent space, also attracts readers and interest. The combination of agents, clubs, transfer windows, and big-time players, I would say, is a compelling miss to attract the reader and the fan from whatever angle, and in this case, the agent's angle. Now, 
This has been a fantastic episode of The Agent's Angle, Jonathan. I really got great guests in Patty and really some fantastic topics. So all our listeners, please like and follow us on the socials, including LinkedIn. And if you want to contact us, maybe nominating a topic or nominating a special guest, please do so. Next week, we have another very interesting guest, plus good agent stories and updates on the agent business. And maybe we might avoid the FFAR. So it's bye from me for now. You do know you've got no chance of avoiding the FFAR, but it's bye from me also. Take care, everyone. The purpose of the Agents Angle podcast is to provide news, information and facilitate discussion on regulatory matters, policies, business trends and issues affecting football agents worldwide. The opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and should never be considered legal or professional advice. Furthermore, the views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you for listening.